of God. And then he says, woe is me. I'm ruined. Well, what ruined him? He saw something of God. Here's how he describes it in Revelation or in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He realized he had a great problem, and everybody else around him had a great problem. And the problem was uncleanness, especially in his speech, seemed to be uh, the thing that was emphasized for him. But he, he goes on and says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There was something of a revelation there. You remember that? It was a, it was a vision, a picture. God came down and gave a revelation of his holiness. And that brought Isaiah down. I said, I'm ruined. Prior to God showing us something of his majesty, sin just seems like a natural part of our life. In fact, we're told in Job 15:16 that we drink iniquity like water. Think about that. Mankind, people in general, drink iniquity like water. We just take it in constantly, like a common, even necessary part of our life. I mean, that's the way we feel sometimes. It's just this is the way life is, you know. This way I am, and this is just, just natural. It's like drinking water. But to use the picture there, sin never satisfies. We just keep drinking more, gulping it down. We believe Satan's lies and distortions that sin really isn't so bad. But you see, we must get our understanding of what sin is like and how sinful sin is from God himself, not from one another. How does God view sin? Well, what I want to do in relationship to this first category then is just look at some of the pictures and types that God gives us in the Bible of the sinfulness of sin. And I'll just say at the beginning, it's not a pretty picture. We're talking about God using pictures to explain to us, and the pictures that he uses are not pretty when he's telling us about the sinfulness of sin. Now here are just a few things, a few comparisons he makes with things in relationship to the subject of sin. First of all, he says it is filthy, unclean, and defiling. Sin is filthy, unclean, and defiling. Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Even the things that we think we're doing that seem pretty good, God says they are like filthy garments. James 1.21 calls sin filthiness. So if you, if you want to get an idea of what God, how God views sin, he views it as filthy. 
2 Peter 2:22 says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Now that's not a very nice picture. Or like a sow wallowing in the mire. You know, when you go by one of these hog confinements, it stinks. Uh, that's the way God views sin. Now, for the hog in the confinement, that's just life. And that's the way most of us are. We just think this is the way life is. But God says this, this is filthy. This, this is stinking. Paul says this in Romans 3.13. Sin is like an open grave. You think uh, the picture I think he wants us to look at is not a, a, a grave that's just been dug, but one that's been opened up after this body has decayed. Dead man's bones and all uncleanness is something that's, that's defiling to be around. Sin is like that, you see. So the first category here of how God views sin, it's filthy, it's unclean, it's defiling. The next thing that he compares it to is like a disease, like an infection, or like a poison. Israel's sinful condition was described by Isaiah in Isaiah 1, 6. He says, From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Now, the whole works is bad, you see. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. And I like the way the King James puts that, putrefying sores. This is, uh, we're talking about how God views sin. It's like putrefying sores, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. So it's, it's like a diseased, infected wound. 2 Timothy 2.17 compares sinful talk to gangrene. And Paul again in Romans 3.13 says it is like the poison of asps, like a, a poisonous snake. Not, not something you want to be around, except we're around it every day. Next, God compares sin to insanity. Ecclesiastes 9.3, The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. You see, if you just think about it, only a madman would set himself against the Almighty Creator. And that's, but, but that's what people do every day all the time. It's insanity. So if we take that picture, we could say that basically we spend our days walking through an insane asylum because we're around madmen. God says it's, sin is like insanity. 
Sin is compared to darkness and night. Ephesians 5.11 Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Colossians 1.13 tells us that the unrepentant sinner is in the domain of darkness. John 3.19 says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 says Christians are not of the night or of darkness, but you see, that's not where most people are. Most people are of the night of darkness. Why is is that comparison made? Well, because sin likes to hide. And sin blinds us, just like you can't see in the dark, because there's no light. So sin is compared to darkness and night. And then sin is also compared to a troubled sea. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, And its waters toss up refuge and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Unpeaceful, untranquil. In fact, it's like a uh, uh, tossing up of refuge and mud. James speaks of sin as like wild waves of the sea. So the picture there is that sin is like the wild waves churning up muck and mire and uh, refuge, unpeaceful, unsettled, and unstable. Well, those are just a few of the Bible's pictures of sin. So the question is, is that the way you view sin? Is that the way I view sin? It's the way God says we should look at sin. We call it a frailty or an infirmity, a lack of good upbringing or education. God calls it an abomination, something that's unclean, disgusting, filthy, dark, and defiling. Nevertheless, we walk around day by day amongst people that have no concept of sin. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, it says in Proverbs 16.2. Though not washed from their filthiness, they are pure in their own eyes. Well, like I said, it's not a pretty picture. But it's the biblical picture. It's the, the, the descriptions that God gives us so that we can get a little understanding of what's sin, how he views sin. But let's turn from that picture of darkness and disease and defilement to the way the Bible describes Christ, and this is a great contrast. 
So we're going to look now at the a few of the pictures, descriptions of the sinless perfection of Christ that's given to us in the scriptures. First of all, we're told that he is light. Just the opposite of the darkness and the night. He is light. John 1, 9. He was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every man. He's the true light. We're told that he said himself, I am the light of the world. So that everyone who believes in him will not remain in darkness. Now light speaks of knowledge and truth, but it also speaks speaks of purity and holiness. Instead of night and darkness, he's the bright and morning star. There's a picture. The bright and morning star, Revelation twenty two, sixteen. He's the day spring from on high. There's another picture. Just a little type, a little example, a little description of Christ, the day spring from on high. He's the son of righteousness, S-U-N, son of righteousness, which will rise with healing in its wings, Malachi 4, 2. We're told that he's like a refiner's fire. Refiner's fire is the fire used to get the impurities out of something. He's like a refiner's fire. He's like the fuller's soap, something that will cleanse a cloth or what needs to be cleansed. This is Malachi 3, 2 and 3. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. He's the, he's the purifier, you see. Not the defiler, the purifier. We're told that he's like a cleansing fountain. Zechariah 13.1 In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. A fountain to get rid of sin, a fountain to get those impurities, that defilement off of you. He's like a cleansing fountain. We're told that he's the great physician, one who can cleanse us and make us whole, make us well. One who can cure the sickness of our soul. Of course, if you think you're healthy, then you don't need a physician. We're told that he is the prince of peace. The one who can say to those wild, restless waves, peace, be still. He's the one and only undefiled one, you see. He's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. 
He's the one who came to earth as a lamb unblemished and spotless, which then brings us to this last area that we want to look at, the types and pictures of the way of salvation. In one way, the theology of salvation is very simple. Here it is. God is very good. I am very bad. But God has made a way for me to be very good by taking away my badness and giving me his goodness. That's, that's what it's all about. So that's simple. On the other hand, what Christ did for us on the cross is very complex. A very complex event that has many aspects to it so that God uses many, in the Bible, many types and pictures to help us understand what God has done for us in Christ. So let me just mention a few of these. These are a little sort of in alphabetical order, but just some of the pictures that God gives here for what Christ has done for us. We're told that he's our advocate. That, that's one called alongside to help us. He's our advocate with the Father. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father. He's the author of our salvation. Talking about what God has done well, he, uh, for us to bring us to himself. Well, he's the author of that. He, Christ is the author of our salvation. He's the leader. He's the initiator. I think you could even say he wrote the book on it. He's the author. He's the author of our salvation. He's the bread of God. The bread of God that gives life to the world. He's the bread of life. He's the true bread that comes down out of heaven. He's where you can find life, you see. He's the chief cornerstone. God's purpose is that we might dwell with him. And he's, what, what Christ has done makes it so that there is a dwelling of God in the Spirit and, the, and that dwelling, the chief cornerstone of that is Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our deliverer. He will remove ungodliness and take away our sins. He'll deliver us, you see, from our sin. He's a deliverer. He's the door. Jesus said, I'm the door. What's, what's he talking about? Well, we can enter through him and and. Find salvation. Enter into salvation through him. He's the door. It's a picture, you see. He's the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd. He's our great high priest. Not only is he the sacrifice, he's the high priest that offers the sacrifice. He's the high priest that makes propitiation for our sins. He's the horn of our salvation. A horn was a symbol of strength, like the horn of the ox. Well, 
where where is the strength that that we can have to be saved? Well, it's it's only in Christ. He's the horn of our salvation. You can't save yourself. You need someone strong to save you. He's the horn of our salvation. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb without blemish. He's our Passover that's been sacrificed for us. See, these are pictures. These are pictures to teach us about what Christ has done. He's the last Adam. What's, what's the picture there? Well, the first Adam lost everything. The, se- the last Adam, Christ, gains everything for us. He gives what the first Adam took away, life. He is the one mediator between God and man, the go-between between God and man. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He's our redemption. He's our redeemer. What's the picture there? The picture of a redeemer is one who buys you out of slavery. He's the near kinsman who has paid the ransom to deliver us from bondage. He's our rock. That's a pretty clear picture. Something to stand upon. All this shifting sand and tossing of the seas. No, he's our rock. A solid place. The rock of our salvation. He's the way. What's that mean? Well, he's the, he's the road to God. If you're going to get to God, you're going to have to go this way. The one, no one comes to the Father but through him. Well, those are just a few of the types and descriptions that God gives of the way of salvation. But to me, probably the clearest of all which I've already mentioned, has to do with him being the Lamb of God. That, to me, is the preeminent uh, type or description of how we are saved. He, Christ, is the fulfillment of all those pictures in the sacrificial system that's given to us in the Old Testament. Especially, we think, of the sin offering. So I haven't had you turn to any scriptures yet, so let's turn to something here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4. I'll just read a little bit here. This has to do with what needed to be done for you as an individual in terms of your sin. Leviticus 4, and we'll just start reading at verse 32. But if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, so we're talking about a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without defect, spotless, no defect. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay it, for a sin offering in the place where they slay the burnt offering. So they bring this this lamb 
you as a sinner bring this lamb as a sin offering. You come and you put your hands, lay your hands on the head of the sin offering. And then just skip down to verse 35. It says, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, the last part of the verse there, which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. So you take this this spotless, undefiled lamb, and you come in and put your hand on it. And then that lamb is slain. And that was the way, it says, that that person shall be forgiven. That was a picture, a type that God gave for the individual. But then in terms of the nation, the nation as a whole, uh, nation of Israel, God had, uh, I think, an even clearer picture. And this was on the Day of Atonement. Um, Atonement means to be made one with God. So there was a day when the nation could be made one again with God. Separation because of sin, well, God could bring them back to himself. And this was the way. Let's turn to Leviticus 16. Again, we'll just kind of jump into the middle of the account here. Leviticus 16 and verse 7. And he shall take, this is Aaron, the priest, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the lot of the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, uh, for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat, and that's a very interesting word, that scapegoat, means the goat of removal. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. Atonement, again, is the bringing together of God and man to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And then if you skip down to verse 21. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and shall confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sin. And he shall lay them on the head. Now, listen to that. He shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. In verse 22. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquity to a solitary place. And he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So you have one goat that's killed to show the terrible punishment of sin. You have the other goat that's sent away into the wilderness, symbolizing the taking away of the people's sins. So you have this incredible picture, you see, of the, of the priest laying his hands on this goat and confessing all the sins of all the people. That, might, that probably took a while. And then... Those sins are carried away off into the wilderness. It's a picture, you see. It's a picture 
thousands of years before Christ came, of what Christ was to do for his people. So let's just kind of summarize here a little bit. If you want a true picture of what salvation is all about, you have to kind of combine these images. A person whose sin is like raw, putrefying sores, filthy, unclean, so unclean it's like they have the vomit of dogs and the stench of hogs with a darkened and deluded mind. That person can come to the unblemished, spotless lamb and lay his hands upon that lamb's head and confess their sins. And then that lamb is sacrificed not because of any defilement in the lamb itself, but because it is taking those sins upon itself. Those sins have been placed upon the lamb. There's a divine transaction that takes place that we can't understand somehow. Those sins are placed upon the lamb. And we get the lamb's spotlessness. So, is it any wonder that John says when Jesus walks up, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Paul says, God made him, that is Christ, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Just like that Lamb, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We get the Lamb's spotlessness. He takes our defilement. So Christ then becomes to the believer an advocate, a deliverer, a door, a mediator, a high priest, a sacrifice, a redeemer, a rock, and the way to God. Just some of the pictures, just a few of the pictures, you see, to help us understand what this thing is all about. Now, if you don't believe these things, I'm sure that you don't think much of that picture of your sinfulness. You pretty much reject that. You're not that bad. Actually, things are worse than what I could even begin to portray here in just these few moments and these few pictures that we've looked at. This portrayal is very inadequate. You're far more defiled and I'm far more defiled and detestable than we can imagine. But I'll say this also. On the other side of the coin, Christ is infinitely greater than what I've been able to present here in these few pictures. Infinitely greater. Far more wonderful. As the song said just before I got up here, you're beautiful beyond description. That's the way Christ is. And, and uh, these, these pictures that God gives, gives us, he's trying to convey to us little children 
that that's what Christ is like. All of us are in far worse shape than we realize. And Christ is a far greater Savior than what we realize. And we need to stop believing any foolish things about us being basically good and believe what God has said about us. And we need to believe what He said about His Son. And if we'll do that, your life doesn't have to be like a troubled, restless sea churning up refuge in mud. He can bring peace into that situation. And we can be delivered from the domain of darkness, which is what we are in, apart from Christ, and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And we can share in the inheritance of the saints in light, and we can have our sins washed away in that fountain. So, what am I saying? I'm saying Christ died for the ungodly. And we have no idea how ungodly we are. But however ungodly we are, Christ died for the ungodly. It's a faithful saying worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you fit the description? The mugshot. If you do, then look to the spotless Lamb of God. And if you don't think you do, look to God to show you a little more of himself. Because if you see something of, of the character of God, something of what he's really like, like Isaiah did, you will say, woe is me, for I'm ruined. You, you'll know you need a Savior, and you'll know you can't save yourself. Well, some types and pictures of the sin, sinfulness of sin, the sinlessness of Christ, and the way of salvation from sin in Christ.